welcome to Undressing the Issue with myself, Julia Alperovich. Uh, this is a podcast where we're going to be talking about all sorts of issues that revolve around sex, sexuality, intimacy, dating, relationships, and everything that comes in between. So today I have my lovely, handsome husband, Ted. Oh, thank you. Hello. <laughs> Hello. And I decided to start out by letting him interview me, basically, and ask me some questions so that we can get this rolling. So, Ted, do you want to give a little info about yourself? Yeah, my name is uh, Ted. Uh, as Julia said, uh, we are married, newly married uh, couple. And, uh, yeah, you know, we get to hear her all the time. So today she thought it might be interesting to... Uh, hear a little about herself and you know kind of a look behind the the uh speaker so to speak so uh kind of let's begin with you know why why you're here why do you why do you like what you do why are you a therapist wait which question do you want me to answer first i guess why you're a therapist <laughs> okay well um i am a therapist because like many therapists uh we are basically wounded healers um, I've been through my own struggles, especially in the area that I talk about and that I work with. So I like to share with my clients when appropriate about my experiences, trials and tribulations, struggles, the type of work that I've done to learn about myself. And I'm passionate about helping others develop insight about themselves, um, learn about how they function in relationships and help improve their quality of life and walk beside them on their journeys through some of these really difficult uh, issues. You know, speaking of teaching these uh, clients, kind of tell us about some of your own education uh, in the field. Uh, okay, so I have a master's of science degree in marriage and family therapy from Seton Hall University. My degree is a master's of science rather than a master's of arts as most marriage and family therapists are because I did a program where I was able to do a science component and I chose to do that on the neurophysiology of addiction. So I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've worked in tons of different settings, nonprofits, inpatient treatment facilities. I'm in private practice at this time. I've also gotten certified in what feels like just about everything, but my main certifications are in sex addiction treatment. I am what is known as a CSAT. I'm also a certified clinical partner specialist. What is a CSAT? A CSAT is a certified sex addiction therapist. So it is someone who's been through the training and has completed hours of supervision under an experienced CSAT in working with what's considered the gold standard of treatment for sexual addictions. Um, and it's under a, an organization called ITAP that does this training. And it was developed by Patrick Carnes, who is kind of the guru in sex addiction treatment. So that is what a CSAT is. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and a, C, a, clinical, a certified clinical partner specialist, which is my other certification that I use most frequently is basically to be able to be specialized in working with partners 
of sex and pornography addicts. So what I'm working with there for the most part is something known as betrayal trauma. So being betrayed by infidelity, lying, having a secret life, um, and finding out about it in your partner. So that is what I do. Well, speaking of secret life, uh, can we tell us a little <laughs> Wait, bit? Wait, I wasn't done with my education. Oh, okay. Uh, the other exciting thing is I'm actually currently um, a student, a doctoral student. I'm working on my PhD in clinical sexology. Uh, I'm hoping that once I pass my oral exam this December, I will have completed my board certification in sex therapy, and then I can work on my super fancy dissertation. So that's the other piece of education. It never stops. And um, I think that's it. Does that cover education? It largely seems to cover it. Seems okay. like you have a lot of it, a lot of certification. <laughs> uh, but yeah, can you please uh, give, you know, kind of tell us a little bit um, about your family history? My family history? Yeah. All right, that's a shift. So Just about your, fa- just about your family. Okay. What, what, how kind of, you know, how What do you think family about my life, family? How your family life impacts your choice of career moving well, you've met my family. What do you think of them? I think they're lovely people. Well, you're supposed to say that. So, <laughs> so uh, all and right. And we're being recorded. <laughs> you got it. So a little bit about my family. Um, I have a mom and dad, obviously. Most people um, do. Yes, they do. Um, so I was actually born in the Soviet Union in what is now Lithuania. And... Sorry about that noise. It's my troublemaking cat. Her name is Agnes. So in any case, I was born in Lithuania. I came to the U.S. when I was about five with my mom and dad. Um, My mom and dad are very different, interesting people. My mom is... How would I describe her? She's kind of... um, She's got a lot of trauma and wounding. She's... Are your parents married? No, they're no longer married. I'm getting to that. So so now the listeners get a little insight into what our daily life is like. Spoilers. So so, um, my parents are no longer married, but I grew up with them together. We came to this country as immigrants and my parents really struggled when I was young. So I grew up watching them work really hard and try to build a life and establish businesses And um, my father is a cardiologist. My mother used to be a mechanical engineer. Now she is an esthetician. And when I was about 25, my parents decided to get divorced. And this came after years of them trying to salvage their marriage. They had a um, a lot of differences, a lot of things that got in the way and disrupted their relationship and part of that was I think my dad not knowing how to communicate what he needed um, what he was unhappy with what he wanted more of and my mom not being able to do the same no fault of their own Um, but it ended up with my father having some infidelity issues for a while my mom getting really hurt and ultimately they ended up divorcing and uh, my father is currently remarried 
Um, his wife is a lovely woman. She is close to my age, and no, that is not awkward. We've worked through that. Um, I have three little half-brothers, and I have one sister from both my parents, who's 16 years younger than me. We might say that that was an attempt at saving their marriage, but she's also lovely, and she's finishing up college right now. She's a senior. Um, Do you think your your upbringing has any impact upon your uh, current career choice? Duh. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I grew up watching my parents struggling to communicate, to get on the same wavelength. I watched them, you know, get into fights and hurt each other and kind of um, stumble around and figuring out how to recover from these conflicts, how to uh, understand each other, how to resolve some of those hurts. So I think it was really influential and um, and my own history, my own marital history also kind of um, strengthened that interest. Tell us about your yourself as well. <laughs> Obviously married now to this amazing man. Yes, yes. Uh, how about before that? <laughs> so he's so modest. So before that, I met my ex-husband when I was 23 years old. My parents... Um, were probably at the lowest point in their marriage at that time. And I just gotten out of college. Excuse me, I was considering going to grad school, but hadn't gotten there yet. I met him and he was a charmer initially. He was all personality and he was very, he had a great sense of humor. He was very much a gentleman. He was chivalrous. And, um, Basically, it went from amazing to awful very quickly. Um, we were married for about four years. Uh, we were separated for a lot of the last year. What ended up happening is I ended up finding out that he was living a double life. He was dating through pretty much all of our marriage. Um, he was meeting women online on dating websites and showing all of them our wedding photos, telling them I was his beloved wife who died of cancer. Dark, I know. And he was trying to garner pity from them in an attempt to um, get them to like him and want to nurture him and give him attention. And he cheated in that way. So I came out of that with a pretty significant amount of betrayal trauma myself. Um, and so after that, kind of, I'd dropped off in my relationship with my father. Him getting remarried was really tough. The way it went down just was not a good situation. So we actually didn't speak for most of my marriage for about those four years. And in that time, I completed grad school, I graduated, he didn't even know. It was kind of sad. And then when I got divorced, I reconnected with my father. Uh -huh. And um, basically it was difficult because he'd done something similar to my mom as my ex-husband did to me. So it was a lot of tough conversations between me and him to uh, rebuild our relationship and establish trust and get to the point where we are now where He's pretty much my best friend. So, yeah, this has been a 
pretty much a lifetime in the making is getting to this point where I now help others who are in similar situations. So life has kind of brought you to this point in your career, you would say? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. And it's not like I've had this happy path along the way where I've just observed other people going through it. It's been a lot of really living it and learning from the experience and struggling myself through it to figure out, you know, how to heal and how to move on and how to get to the point where I have done enough healing to be able to help others in their process with it. So from this path and struggle uh, from your own, what do you hope people can maybe learn and take away from this podcast? Well, I think the main thing is that there is hope that, you know, yes, these types of things, these life events are really transformative. They're extremely painful. They're oftentimes traumatic. And when you're in the thick of it, it's really hard to see that there even might be a light at the end of the tunnel, but that, you know, if you're able and you're willing to really dig deep and do this work and that you have a great support system and people on your side who are going to help you through it and help you effectively, who are going to be understanding and empathetic that you can do it, that you can get to a place where you're happier, where you're feeling safer, where you're kind of healed in many ways. I mean, it's never gonna be 100% perfect and I think that people need to have realistic expectations. These are wounds and they leave scars and that's tough, but it doesn't mean that you can't have a good quality of life after you've been through some of these really hurtful experiences. I think that's the main thing is helping people to, who are in this process to learn, be able to provide some information, um, learn about what's going on, give it a name, be able to put a name to it so that they can understand what's going on and it doesn't just feel like it's crazy making and it's out of control and also help them learn that there are resources and supports out there that they can utilize. And, you know, really overall, I'm hoping that this podcast can be a resource, an educational tool, um, and someplace where people can come and listen and learn and maybe in the future even ask questions and get those answered and, um, be able to get that, you know, you can see a therapist once a week and get a lot of work done, but sometimes there's other stuff that can help you along the way while you're doing that. Well, it's almost always available evergreen content that you can provide people that might be looking for something. Yeah, absolutely. And I also, in this realm of dating relationships, sexuality, intimacy, there's, it, there's just an infinite number of topics that fall under this whole umbrella there's so many things that go into this just layers and layers of things like trauma and family of origin stuff your upbringing your boundaries how you learned about them how you've set them yourself and maintained them or didn't um there's so many different things that we can touch on 
that go under this whole umbrella that I think, you know, there, there's a lot to do here and there's a lot of help that can be given to those who may need it. What are the top, like, one or two things that people come and ask you about these days? I'm assuming they change throughout the years. <laughs> yes, they have. Well, right now, um, in my private practice, the thing I'm specializing in most heavily is sex addiction and betrayal trauma. So I have a lot of people who come in thinking they are sex addicts or that they have a sexual addiction and wanting to learn about it, get it under control, learn to manage it, get sober. Um, I have a lot of partners who come in of sex addicts who are um, dealing with betrayal trauma, who are hurt, who want to either stay in their marriages and repair the relationship, rebuild the trust, or they want to uncouple in a healthy way and not, you know, without animosity, without um, dragging each other through the mud by with being able to co-parent effectively if their kids involved and they also want to learn from the experience so they don't repeat the patterns so that's a lot of what I see but within that there's sort of like sub subtopics that come up all the time and those really are boundaries um, that's a big one especially for partners learning how to ask for what you need in order to establish safety and rebuild trust. Um, a big one also is sex. What is the difference between healthy sex and unhealthy sex? Is there such a thing as unhealthy sex? Is there such a thing as healthy sex? And how do you know the difference? <laughs> um, I also get a lot of questions about how um, our wounds and traumas have brought people to the place where they've been very compulsive and have taken high risks and have incurred losses and have been engaging in these behaviors as a way to sort of self-soothe and self-medicate some of those earlier lifetime things. So I think those are the main topics that I see. And even within those, there's just so much that goes into that. I would agree. <laughs> I mean, really, just to even begin, what is a sex addict? Like, how would you describe what is just a basic, what is a sex addict? A sex versus just someone who likes to have sex a lot. <laughs> you know, I think the biggest misconception, first off, there's so much stigma around sex addiction. There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of stigma. There's a whole camp of people, sex therapists and educators, who have promoted the idea that there's no such thing as sex addiction, that that sex addiction therapists are basically just over-pathologizing a person's, you know, high sex drive. And sex addiction, the big misconception taboo is that these are people who want to have sex all the time, who can't ever get enough. And the reality is that's not always what it looks like. Um, sometimes it looks like something called intimacy anorexia, where, you know, it's somebody who will act out, but then have so much shame and guilt and lots of other stuff that comes up that then they completely turn off their ability to be sexual or intimate or even open or vulnerable. I mean, completely. So sometimes it can look like that and it can cycle. Um, I think there are different types of sex addicts. There are some who are risk averse and some who 
actually are driven by taking risks. Um, I think a lot of pornography addicts, people who are strictly pornography addicts, are more risk averse. It's more of a self-soothing behavior um, versus sex addicts who are driven by taking risks, who like to try to, you know, um, win people over and like to try to attract new partners. It's about the conquest, the excitement, the novelty. So there's different types. And, you know, your question is pretty big because a lot of what drives a sex addict is in their arousal template. And maybe that's something we can get into. What is an arousal template? What does that look like? How is it developed? Does it evolve? But um, sex addicts, in my opinion, are people any like any people who have an addiction where it's not you know the terms that we hear they're perverts or they're looking for an excuse for bad behavior that's not accurate like anybody with an addiction they've developed a coping skill to manage trauma wounding insecurity and um it's ended up becoming dysfunctional for them and they have a hard time stopping and I think that kind of encompasses sex addiction. Hmm. Uh, what is it more common in men or women? Is, is it in your... You so find? that's interesting because I don't think it's necessarily more common in men. However, I see more men coming into treatment. Only I see women too, female sex addicts and non-binary sex addicts. Um, but I think that especially men who are heterosexual men in relationships are oftentimes pushed by their partners to seek treatment. Whereas I don't know that as many male partners actually end up staying in the relationship after there's been this betrayal and this disclosure of a problem. Um, and maybe that's also another topic we can get into in terms of the gender differences in handling betrayal and how people handle it hmm. that was redundant <laughs> well it sounds like we have a lot of topics for next time. we do we do do you have any other questions for me no i think we're, I think we're good i think yeah. we have a lot of things to go over for the next few episodes can i ask you some questions great <laughs> no so, too late so um how do you handle being married to a therapist while not being in the mental health field at all. <laughs> yeah, we kind of keep it very separate. Uh, I try not to get too involved uh, in her day-to-day. -day. Obviously, her clients are private. Uh, but, you know, I'm there for her if she needs anything, given she deals, uh, you, I guess, you deal with uh, so much drama and personal issues throughout the day uh, that I just try to be here for you uh, if you need me. Uh, and, you know, kind of, you know, be there from with a bit of distance, obviously, just given that it's uh, private work. Do you ever feel like I'm therapizing you? Uh, not too much. You know, I, I always make the joke uh, being married to a therapist is like being asked all the time, like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Uh, but no, I don't think so. But I think it's also key to... Out, outline that early on as much as possible. <laughs> Do you feel like we did? I would say so, yeah. I definitely think you, I think it's a good thing to make sure that line is very clear. Yeah. So. Do you feel like being 
in a relationship with a therapist has affected what our relationship has looked like over the years? Yes, there's a lot more talking involved. <laughs> but that's not to say that we've never had bad moments or that our relationship has always looked perfect. It's close to perfect, but no, we, <laughs> we of course, uh, have arguments, etc. But I think the biggest difference is that talking, I think we talk a lot uh, more, I would say, than probably most couples do. And I think that's probably why we will actually last as well as the fact that we do talk a lot. Was that so. weird for you initially, talking a lot? No, but given my upbringing, my upbringing is a little different. So, no, it's pretty pretty normal. I'm okay with talking. You weren't always okay with it. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while. <laughs> what See, this is where this is where this is where you begin therapizing. <laughs> Guilty, but mm, not sorry. So, <laughs> what do you think has been? Um, what have you learned? I guess about how to communicate, what not to do, in having been in a relationship with a therapist myself for how long has it been now? Seven years. I've just learned to communicate. By far the most important thing is communication. People that people that don't communicate, uh, those are the people that will have issues. It seems like, and talking and just kind of explaining feelings, etc. Uh, is key and I definitely think it's something that I've learned uh, through this relationship especially dating a therapist as well you know being in the, the other half of that relationship uh, definitely has kind of added that la an extra layer it's become kind of bolded to that uh, aspect so you say communication is important but what exactly is communication like what does that look like to me it's just talking talking we talk about everything we talk about every every issue everything every problem, every, you know, we just, just talking and not closing up or, uh, not discussing things openly, I would say. Not, not discussing things sure. openly. Okay. Sure. All right. But I think, I think what I'm getting at is that we try to do it in a respectful and loving manner, even if we disagree, like we try not to fight dirty even when we do fight, kind of maintaining that idea that you can love someone and not like them in the moment. Everyone's going to disagree. You're just disagreeing about something. You'll you'll get over it. Totally. I agree. I agree. I'm agree I'm agree I'm glad we agree to disagree. To agree. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Are you done being tortured and therapized? Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. It's well been lovely. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Thank right. you for having me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Long time listener. <laughs> well, maybe I can, uh, you know, take you out sometime. <laughs> if you're single. <laughs> so you're supposed to say no, I'm taken. <laughs> yeah, by you. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. And uh, I'm hoping I can be helpful to you guys and touch on some interesting topics Keep it fresh and light and uh, at times humorous, if at all possible, while covering some heavy issues. And maybe together in the next few episodes, we can begin to address the issues. Take care.